Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 6 in our teaching series, a study of the book of Acts with Paul's writings, titled Chapter 1, Part 3. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Good morning. How is everyone? Super, that's great. We do welcome you to the kingdom of God in new life today on the side of 64, famous place of the presence of God, if you haven't noticed. And uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning as we look into God's holy word again to, to try to make some sense of what's going on around us, what's going on in this world today, and see if we can have some biblical understanding. And it's for sure it hasn't, it's proof that it hasn't caught God, God off guard at all, right? It's very obvious of that. So as we look at the scriptures this morning, I want us to, my purpose in this teaching of the scriptures is to help the believers of this congregation and the church at large to not be confused, not to be tossed around. As I teach, of course, I'm trusting each one of you here will test what I have to say, and that's what you should do. But I like to teach and bring understanding to the Scriptures that what we're seeing among us today will make some sense. Because on truly on the stage of life today, it's pretty evil, pretty dark. But it doesn't take a, but a little bit of light to be flashed across this stage to bring some understanding and to bring truth. So as we began here, I wasn't here last week. I'm sure Trevor did a wonderful job talking about aliens and the such. I guess he called any names, did he? We got a few ideas. But anyway, I want us to see if you know this. This is Lesson 6, Chapter 1. Anybody know, recognize that guy? Believe it or not, he's from North Carolina, a preacher years ago. From a humble beginning in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, Vance Havener was called to preach and licensed at 12, ordained at 15, and preached all over America. Havner became one of the most and best loved and renowned revivalists of the 20th century. And I venture to say not many people's ever heard his name. But he was known as a great revivalist, and I always liked he was from the Blue Ridge Mountains. If you want to know what this revivalist preached, how did he preach? Here's one of his little quotes. It's not our business to make the message acceptable, but to make it available. We are not to see that they like it, but that they get it. I think that's pretty simplistic and right to the point. Amen. And I think that's where we falter a lot in church today, perhaps. Because it's one thing about you know, if you take any medicine and you weaken it down, it doesn't achieve its in intended end. And so it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we water it down at all, it won't do its intended work. So it's not a matter about it being acceptable. It's about it doing its work in our hearts. So the watered down gospel is a gospel that will not work. It has to be full strength. You have to give it just like it says it for it to do its work. I thought that he was a very interesting guy. I like to do in my Bible studies, I like to always put in some of the old revivalists and ran across him. The book of Acts is continuing. All right, as we pick up here, we've already done several verses in the book of Acts. The intention that I have in teaching the book of Acts is so we can see where we are in the Bible and the Scriptures. This book works. This book is true. I do not claim to have all truth of this book. I claim to have a little bit, and I'm sure some that I believe needs to be changed yet, and I'm open to that. But I'll stand before you, and I have to teach it the way I see it right at this moment, but you will not hurt my feelings to test it. 
I get emails weekly on how wrong I am from different parts of the country. So you're not going to hurt my feelings. But I do ask everybody to be at least a little nice. It's amazing how the, the bad news will find you. And today's internet, it's not hard to do. So, But I do receive all criticism, to be honest with you, because I like to see how people are receiving it. A lot of times the criticism will also show you what people are not understanding about what you're saying. You can be presented better or said better. Sometimes if curse words are used, I'm not too sure that's very instructive. You know what I'm saying? As far as trying to help me understand the error of my ways. But here we see as we're studying the book of Acts. Now when I say these things, they might just be one-liners, but they are very important. The kingdom was offered to Israel first in the Acts period, and they rejected it. So we're talking about the kingdom, a literal kingdom here at the beginning of Acts. And this kingdom was offered to Israel, and they did reject it. Now, I want you, if you would, turn to your Bibles, the book of Matthew, and I want us to go to the 22nd chapter quickly, book of Matthew. There again, my teaching is with hopes of shedding light, bringing understanding to the Scripture. I'm of the persuasion, and I have been taught that Scripture interprets Scripture. To go to the interpretation of Scripture, you go to Scripture, and it'll interpret it. So when we see here that the kingdom was offered to Israel first in the book of Acts, and they rejected it, I want to give you a parable that Jesus gave, predicting, if you will, this happening. Now the kingdom of God is offered in the first part of Acts to the nation Israel, and they reject it. All right, when we go to Matthew chapter 33, I'm sorry, 22, this was written somewhere around, I don't know, 31, 32 A.D. But in chapter 22, in that first verse, it says, And Jesus answered and spake them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. Now there again, the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a certain king which made a marriage for his son. All right, the king there would be God, the son there would be Jesus. And he says, and he sent forth his servants to call them who were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Okay, we know that that is the first invitation is actually the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. When Jesus walked upon the earth and John the Baptist, John the Baptist issued this first invitation to the nation Israel. Now we know that they rejected it now, but in this parable it says there was a king, had a son, and he had an invitation. This first invitation is John the Baptist. He went to the nation Israel. He gave an invitation. This invitation was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then he goes into verse 4. Again he sent forth other servants. Well, the end of verse 3, don't forget, it says, and they would not come. So they didn't come as a nation. Then you go into number verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, and my oxen, and my fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready to come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, one to another his merchandise. Okay, this is the second invitation. The second invitation, you've got the first John the Baptist, Jesus' earthly ministry. Second invitation is Jesus ascends to heaven, and He commissions the twelve 
to take the second invitation to the nation Israel. We now all know that they rejected the second invitation, right? But that is the second invitation. Now as we go over into verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when he, when the king, which is God, heard thereof, he was mad, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed the murderers and burned up their city. All right, we know that this historically happened in 70 A.D., Historically, Titus, a Roman sergeant, he went in through and destroyed uh, Jerusalem. So that we know that this verse happened historically in 70 AD. We know historically the first invitation was by John the Baptist, historically. Second invitation, we know that the 12, what we're going into in Matthew chapter 1, is actually the second invitation. And it's important that you see that. The Scripture says, and, and when you use this verse correctly, it makes a lot of sense. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is what you would call right division. You've got three invitations. You make right divisions, right applications. You see first invitation, John the Baptist. Second invitation starts with the book of Acts. Jesus goes away at the end of Luke. And I'm fixing to take you in to the commissioning of the twelve of the second invitation. Are you good with that? And then, then as we go through this, it says in verse 7 that we know that that happened, 70 A.D. Then saith he unto his servants. Okay, that's a different set of servants. That second set of servants and the third second uh, servant, third invitation is actually the body of Christ. Because Titus came through, destroyed Israel, scattered Israel. Israel was never a nation anymore until 1948. So there's a third invitation is the body of Christ. And the third invitation was given by the Apostle Paul. Now watch it. It says, verse 8, So he saith he unto his servants, The wedding is ready, that they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore unto the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. Now that is not the first two invitations. first two invitations was to the Jewish nation. Third invitation was, I forget it all. Go to the highways and hedges and call everybody in, both good and bad. Isn't that something? So can you see the difference, the distinction in the first invitation, second invitation, and third invitation? So what I want you to see is when we start the book of Acts, you're going into the second invitation. In verse 8, he said unto the servants, Wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways. Verse 9, As many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. Verse 10, So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as were found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And then it goes on to say what will happen at the end of that. Now let's go to, back to the book of Acts. What I want you to see is as we start the book of Acts, you're actually seeing the commissioning of the apostles for the second invitation. Now we now know that they reject it. If you read the parable of Matthew 24 or 22, you'll have insight now that they rejected it. So as we go through the first part of Acts, you'll just see the historical validation that the second invitation by Israel was rejected. It was given, nonetheless it was rejected. Then Jesus came on the scenes with that parable, the third invitation, go out into the highways and hedges. All of a sudden the distinction of Israel leaves the parable. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. That's us. We are the people of the third invitation. Now, with that in mind, as we pick up here, the kingdom was offered to Israel first in the Acts period, and at the first part of Acts, and there they rejected it. 
There again, when you go to Acts 28, when you, we have the raising up of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's the 13th Apostle, which is one too many. The reason is he's the Apostle unto the Gentiles. So the Apostle to the Gentiles is the Apostle, the apostle to the highways and the hedges. Peter was the apostle of the second invitation. Jesus was the apostle, if you will, of the first invitation. And John the Baptist was commissioned. So, here we find out, here this kingdom being offered, God uses Peter. He offers it just like Scripture said. We're going to be looking at it here in just a little bit in Acts chapter 2, where this Spirit's poured out. Now, here's the part I like, and I hope you can catch this. When God pours something out to the earth... It's here. It sticks. One thing about God, he, he does things in a way that He doesn't have to go back and say, I messed something up. Okay, God, so once God says that, that's the reason do I believe that tongues are a valid gift for the day? The answer is yes. Why? Because it was poured out in Acts 2. Do I think that healing's a gift or a true spiritual phenomenon today? The answer to that is yes, I do believe that. I had to go through a personal healing myself to come into that great understanding. I didn't do it through great submission and wisdom. I did it through kicking and screaming. But guess who prevailed? God prevailed. And so, but he started showing me, he said, Alan, if I said something, I've said it. You don't have to go back and research it where I switched it. He said, I've just, I've just said it. Now deal with it. Make it work. You know, work it into your theology because it's too late. I've already said it. So, when we see the kingdom offered to Israel in Acts, when God does a transition, they're generationally overlapping. In other words, Peter and the twelve left the planet giving of the second invitation. When Peter leaves the scene, he's still giving Israel the second invitation. He accepted Paul with his third invitation. He said, okay, what Paul say in Scripture? And Peter and Paul got together, and Peter said, okay, Paul, I know what you got from God. Don't quite get it, but I'll tell you what. You go to the Gentiles, and I'll go to the Jews. So right there, you've got to rightly divide again. Right there you start seeing these two men. When, when Peter had the keys of the kingdom, so what Peter bound on earth is bound in heaven. Peter had those keys of the kingdom, and he exercised them right there. So Peter just, now Peter didn't say that Paul couldn't go to the Jews. He said, but Paul, you go to the Gentiles and I'll go to the Jews. Well, that's Acts 9. Well, it just so happens Paul took Peter up on it, but he still went to the Jew first until Acts 28, 28, which is 30 years later. He agreed with Peter, but he still went to the Jew first. And the reason is, Paul knew the second invitation wasn't over yet until Peter left here. In other words, it, it's it was overlapping. If God gives you a commissioning, you do that commissioning till you die. And Peter had a commissioning of the second invitation. Paul had the commissioning of the third invitation. I've told you something. I've taught you something. Test it. Three includes one and two, but two doesn't include three. So Paul's third invitation included the first and second invitation. Why? Because God already said it. It's an invitation, open invitation. So Paul knew he had to honor Peter's invitation to Israel. They were to start Jerusalem, and then they were to go out. And I'm going to show you this in just a minute, if I'd hush and get on with it. But he gave them this commissioning. Paul honored Peter until Acts 28, 28, and that's the reason 28, 28 is important. You have to rightly divide, right? You've got to see it. Paul said that the nation Israel has been blinded. They're hard-hearted. He said, so therefore I'll go to the Gentiles and they'll hear it. So Paul fully went into his Gentile call. 
30 years after him and Peter met. But the reason was Paul knew that Peter's message was still going forth. So that means that Israel could have repented in that 30 years and God would have taken them up on the second invitation. But they didn't. Evidently God knew that. And so God raised up Paul, 13th apostle, to go to the Gentiles to carry out the third invitation. And so we got to understand that our invitation is of the grace of God. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. You don't have to do anything except receive that third invitation. So God has filled up His, God's truth is still true. God's truth to the nation Israel is still true. The nation Israel today has still yet to accept Jesus as their Messiah. We, we all know that. But there will be a day that they will. But it will be after they go through seven years of tribulation according to Daniel in the book of Revelation. The nation Israel goes through that tribulation so they'll be converted that Jesus is the Messiah. Seems like God's a little rough, doesn't it, to you? Well, I mean, He was a little rough on me when He brought me into the message of the healing power of Christ. He was a little rough on me, I thought. Gave me about three to six months to live and it's a bunch of other bad information. Trust me, it's not as hard to get converted as you thought. You'll give. You'll holler, Uncle. The good news on the other side of it, He healed me, and I'm still here. But unless He comes again, I will leave by the grave also. So everybody Jesus heals, as I said, so far has died. Even though I know that Chris Reed believes that John the Baptist is still alive in a cave over in the Isle of Patmos somewhere. He's been alive for 2,000 years. I'm not making fun of that at all. I don't know. But Chris believes because of the Scripture that John's still alive. He believes that he's still alive and in a cave over there somewhere. Now I'm not disputing that because there's part of me that thinks that's ridiculous. And there's another part of me that thinks that'd be just like God, wouldn't it? So the kingdom's offered to Israel, and it's important that you see going into the book of Acts, that going into the book of Acts that you are experiencing the second invitation. That's why it's, what's the point through all of that talk there. Through their rejection, salvation was then offered to the Gentiles. We'll get into that. More so with Acts 9, you can say, well, Alan, I thought that not only didn't Peter offer it to him, and that he did, but Peter offered it to the Gentiles through prophecy, not through mystery. We're going to get into that here a little later. The book of Acts is a record of all these different things that occurred to fulfill the prophecy upon all flesh, not just Israel. So that's another take on the prophecy of Joel. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon what? Upon all flesh. So we already know that the prophecy in Joel is more expansive than just the nation Israel. Because all flesh is, that's a lot of folks. So here's the trap many fall into. Israel has been denied all the promises God made to them. This is called replacement theology, championed by the Catholic Church. And I've been over replacement theology enough that most people should have revelation of replacement theology is that the church has replaced the nation Israel. If that's the case, why are we still trying to get Israel to accept Jesus as our Messiah? I mean, it's, you know, go figure. But anyway, the book of Acts is a transition from the kingdom to the church. Now, I want us to see that. Church starts coming on the scene in the book of Acts. Church meaning that there's neither bond nor free, Jew or Gentile, male or female. That's church. So we're making a transition from Jewish kingdom. Jesus is a king over Israel, which is true and will happen. But it's a transition that expands the definition of the kingdom. 
and it's in God's secret. This is the transition of the book of Acts is a transition from the kingdom to the church. Aren't you get that? And the book of Revelation is a transition from the church back to the kingdom. Now, if you know the book of Revelation, chapter 1, 2, and 3, 2 and 3 is about the churches, seven churches. You remember that? Revelation chapter 2 is about the seven churches, which resembles all of the church scene. So we know by that that when you get to the end of the book of Acts, what you have is on chronological order, you, have, you get to the book of end of Acts, Paul goes to the, he doesn't go to the Jew first anymore, just goes to the world, and he calls everybody in, both good and bad. And then John writes the book of Revelation. What does John do? He picks up at the end of Acts with the seven churches, because that's what's going on. There are the seven churches. So John begins the book of Revelation like it picks up at the end of the book of Acts. Now, in Acts, you're talking about just a literal kingdom of God. In, in Acts, it switches, not switches, I, I don't know of a better word, but it switches to the church. In other words, the nation Israel starts being set aside, and the church starts rising in the book of Acts, and that takes 30-some years. Then when you pick up with the book of Revelation, the churches, seven churches are already on a rise, but then you get to the end of the seven churches and lay a deceiving church. They're neither lukewarm, hot, or cold. So the church starts diminishing. I'm one of those that believes that the rapture of the church happens between the end of chapter 3 and the chapter 4, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. Because you start in chapter 4, verse 1, you don't have any mentioning of the church anymore. Just a slight reference. In the seven churches, it speaks of the church as being a candlestick. Chapter 4, you see a reference to this candlestick, which gives us a prophetic revelation that the candlesticks have been taken from the earth and they're now in heaven. So therefore, it appears to me, the rapture of the church, and most others that believe in the rapture of the church, it believes that that happens at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4. Another testimony to that is this church is not speaking about again through the rest of the book of Revelation. It's all dealing with the nation Israel. So we can see that the interim time of the grace of God, the church secret age, mystery it's called, it has a beginning and it has an end, which we know that's true through Scripture. It lasts until the fullness of the Gentiles is fully come in, you know, the Scripture says. So we're waiting for the, the fully come in part. I hope as I keep, I keep saying the same thing somewhat from different perspectives to give you more to test what I'm saying with, okay? So the book of Acts transitions, you got the kingdom of God, literal kingdom, the first chapter into the church age. Then at the end of the book of Acts 28, 28, Israel set aside, go into Revelation chapter 1, John talks about the churches. At the end of chapter 3, Revelation, you see the diminishing of the church, laying the sea in church. The church age is going out, you're getting ready for tribulation. The tribulation period, Jesus even says this. And the reason he says it's because he's referring to, it's a Revelation 4, 5, 6, he's referring referring to the tribulation period. And he says that you must endure to the end to be saved. Does everybody know the scripture Jesus gives them? You must endure to the end to be saved. Why does Jesus, Jesus say that? It's because in that seven years you have to endure to the end to be saved. You can't take the mark of the beast. So Jesus is not saying that out of context. It's just the context in which he's saying it is about the tribulation period, which he warned the disciples about. Totally through Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now, let me get on. I'm giving too much here. Now, let's look at our Bibles in Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 7. This is what I will call the resurrection ministry of Christ. Starts off in the first chapter of Acts. Now, you got the end of Luke. Jesus 
starts ascending into heaven. He goes up. He's already in his, got his glorified body, all that. He's down here for 40 days, talks to everybody. He starts going up and he starts talking to them. Now the same prediction of spirit baptism that John made was recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Acts. This is Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with what? The Holy Ghost and with fire. Now remember, there's not a good way to do fire. Fire burns. End of discussion. Fire burns off. Fire burns up something. So, he says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. A lot of people are into Holy Ghost baptism, but I don't hear as many as into the fire baptism. Right? But it also puts them together. The Holy Ghost and with fire. Right? Now, we're, we're going to get into that a little bit more. But it's a, it's a first that John says, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he comes mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit today, who is the baptizer, according to that verse? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that baptizes you with Holy Spirit and fire. Alan can't baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. If he turned me loose with that one, I'd use 90% fire, 10% water. A little bit of a joke, I think. Now, Mark 1, 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Acts eleven sixteen. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So there's a big deal made out of this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Big deal. And Jesus is the one that's doing the baptism here. Now, this is the resurrection ministry of Christ. Remember the time period. Acts 1, 6. Let's go to our next verse now. Surely to goodness will we ever get through the book of Acts at this rate. I know my introduction to give you an overview of the book is big, but to me it's important. The rest of it should flow a little quicker. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So now this is Jesus before he ascends. Disciples ask him an honest question. When are you going to restore then? All right, you've died. You've resurrected from the dead. You're glorified. Okay, everything's on track. So therefore, when are you going to restore this kingdom to Israel? Now, that's a literal kingdom. That's the Davidic covenant and Abrahamic covenant. Davidic covenant, always remember David was a king, right? So the Davidic covenant is always about a king sitting on the throne. Abrahamic covenant's about land, which is Israel. So we've got two major covenants, Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant. Davidic covenant, remember King David, is about a king. Davidic covenant, the land covenant is Abrahamic covenant. It's about land. So you've got a king sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning the land. That's what the two covenants are. So they said, when are you going to restore this kingdom? The kingdom is the culmination of the two covenants, Abrahamic Divinic Covenant. It's all they knew of. That's all they were supposed to know of. So they ask a legitimate question. At what time shall you restore again the kingdom to Israel? Legitimate question. This indicates they did not understand his plans and what was ahead for them. And so they asked this legitimate question. Christ did teach the coming of an earthly literal kingdom. That's what he taught. Now in Matthew 19 and 28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. See that? That's a throne, divinic covenant. Of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Millennial reign of Christ, Jesus sits on the throne in Israel, and the twelve apostles are around him, judging Israel and everybody else that's involved. Now here we see in Luke 22, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. 
and I appoint you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So their question was totally legitimate. They're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years on the earth, earthly promise. Now he goes on to say this in Matthew 6:10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Luke 11, 2, and he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. So he's speaking about a literal kingdom. Thy will be done in earth as in heaven. Acts 1, 6, When they therefore were come together, they sat and asked of him, Lord, when will you restore again this kingdom? Matthew 1, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's no possible way that you can escape that the apostles were looking for a literal king sitting on a literal kingdom. There again, replacement theology today says that the church took all of that away. There's a lot to take away is all I can tell you if you want to embrace that. And there again, I submit, God doesn't say anything He doesn't fulfill. And God doesn't have to change His mind. He's already thought it through. Sometimes I have to change my mind because I hadn't quite thought it through, but not God. Luke one thirty says this, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him a what? A throne of his father, who? That's a real throne. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be what? So why wouldn't, I mean right there God says it'll be no end. So you see, I can't say that the church replaced the divinic Abrahamic covenant. I just can't do it. It'd be so handling Scripture improperly. But now the truth is, the apostate church today, one time in Scripture the blessing was stolen. Y'all remember the story. Today the apostate church through replacement theology, again, is trying to steal the blessing to the nation Israel. And to that I say, no, you cannot do that. Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, and it will reign forever. There will be no end. Now we also have a testimony on the council at Jerusalem. This is in Acts 15. I'll jump there just for a proof text. A Simeon had declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles, take out of them a people for His name. See that? And to this agree the words of the prophets it is written, after this I will return. I will build again the tabernacle of David. You see that? Now Trevor did a, I think an incredible revelation on the tabernacle of David. How long ago was that Trevor? Two months ago? Two or three weeks ago you gave it. What was the title of it? Worship in the New Testament church. That's what it was, is worship. If you haven't seen that message, it's really worth your time. He's saying three to four weeks ago it was about worship, but he covers this tabernacle. I think it's one of the greatest revelations on that. May it known unto God his works from the beginning and the end of the world. Okay. You see, the tabernacle of David here, I'm just going to hit it quickly. If you want the full concept, listen to Trevor's teaching. It's online. Go under media, come down, archives, click, and it'll be there. Here we see the tabernacle of David. Now the tabernacle of David, you got to understand, was a tent with a cloth uh, fence around it. Then you had the temple in Jerusalem, which was made of stone and, and all that sort of stuff. Now what we want to remember, this tabernacle went around a mountain for 40 years, right? So to you outdoors people, God was into camping. God was into the outdoors. But 
we also learn something about the nature of God. A lot of people say, well, Israel was just so hard-headed. And all. I think God kind of threw them along the mountain for 40 years because He liked hanging out in the tent. He, liked, he wanted to be with the people. And you get to the New Testament, He says, this is a tent. This is now the tabernacle, right? I want to be with you in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The deal is, God likes to be in a movable tent. He never wanted to be in a temple in Jerusalem made of stone. He said He wanted to be with the lively stones, as the Scripture says. So we're to be a temple of lively stones. We're to be a tent. We're to be a movable tabernacle of God. We were the total intention that God had in mind. Look in the mirror and you're seeing it. This, we are what God had in mind. So God submitted to the temple and all that. But if you've noticed historically, they've had a hard time keeping it built, right? <laughs> if God's a big God, he, he always let their enemies tear it down. And in the tribulation period, there'll be an end tribulation temple, and God's not too happy with that either because the Antichrist will set up in it. So just trust me, God's never been into these stationary temples. God's always been into the tent, the tabernacle temple. Trevor gets just an excellent teaching. Can't say enough about it. Isaiah 16, 5, And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in the truth, the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment, hastening righteousness. And that's in Isaiah, that's prophecy. But in this end time, as Trevor ever pointed out in his teaching, the scripture that's used is the tabernacle of David. It's this movable tent. In other words, this is what God was after. Now, and it's even prophecy. It's in Old Testament. Amos says this, In that day will I raise up what? The tabernacle of David that is fallen and chose upon the breaches thereof, and I will raise up the ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Not the temple in Jerusalem. It's this worshiping tabernacle of David. Now, Let's watch it. A.D. 64, Hebrews is when it was written, Hebrews 10. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of sins there is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness holy by the blood of Jesus. Now you've got to understand, that's A.D. 64, probably written by the, uh, the Apostle Paul. The end of the book of Acts was somewhere around A.D. 62 to 63. Paul goes on to write this. He has the understanding of the blood covenant. And then he says this. He, Paul knows of the Scriptures that God says, I will write my laws upon their hearts. Talking about the nation Israel. But also we see that coming to this tabernacle of David today. He wants to write it upon our hearts, upon our minds. Here's the sobering thought. The tabernacle of David doesn't get any better than this, than us. If you're looking for a better one, it's not out there. You have to look in the mirror. You can run here, you can run there, you can run everywhere looking for the tabernacle of David. You just look in the mirror because you're it. Never what shape you're in, that's as good as it's going to get until you cleaned up the tabernacle a little bit. Amen? There again. Refer you back to Trevor's teaching to really get the insight on that one. Now, it is not for you to know. This is what he said to the disciples. Here they were looking for this prophecy of this literal kingdom. Then he comes, he said, well, listen, it's not really for you to know. Not for you to know. Jesus, what are you talking about? Acts 1-7. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. 
Matthew 24, So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is even near, even at the door. Verily I am saying unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Do you see that? Now that's where Chris comes partly with his thing about John. He's flowing off of this a little bit, I believe. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But you know, that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father. Jesus does not do away with the literal kingdom when He says this. Doesn't change. Does not change any of that. Jesus did not cancel the kingdom of Israel. There are promises to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. Jesus is yet to sit on a literal throne of David. John one says, and he came into his own, and his own received him not. What invitation is that? Second invitation. See, they didn't receive the second invitation. The lack of the second invitation being received is the setup for the third. Now watch it. Romans eleven twenty five. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So it's through Israel's blindness until the second invitation, no doubt, God blinded them to the, at the end of that second invitation. Why? Because God had a mystery, he had a secret he was going to reveal. Totally caught Satan off guard. Totally just knocked his legs out from under him. He thought he killed that king, which the murdering of that king, the killing of that king, if you will, his shed blood was the forgiveness of all sin. Well, you know if Satan had known that revelation, he wouldn't have done it. He'd have done that. He'd have took Jesus' bananas and everything else to keep him alive. He didn't have that revelation. Acts is transitional from the kingdom message to the kingdom message plus the new revelation of the church. Are you got that? And I, you, but you've got to understand, you've got to see the three invitations. First, John the Baptist. Second, the apostles. Third, Paul. You've got to see those three invitations to understand it, what's happening. Now, the second invitation is reissued in the tribulation period. And I'm going to show you all that. Is anybody interested? It's going to be, it's reissued to the nation of Israel. The Jew gets saved today, he's what we call a Messianic Jew, but he's actually in the body of Christ. Now, if Jesus wants to let a Jew have dual citizenship, it's all right by me. <laughs> okay, that's God's business. He wants to say, okay, you're in a Jewish nation. You're in, I mean, maybe they got dual citizenship. I, I mean, who, who knows? But, well, maybe we got dual citizenship, come to think about it. I've been grafted in, bless God. So, maybe I've got dual citizenship. Thank you, Holy Ghost. All right. Now, the book of Revelation is transitional from the church, then back to the kingdom message. This is the commissioning, and I've got two, three minutes to give you this commissioning, of the apostolic commission it's called. It's in verses 1-8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see that? So this is the commissioning of the second invitation. First invitation was John the Baptist and Jesus. Second invitation commissioning is to the twelve right here. Here's what it says. You'll go where? To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. That's kind of getting it all done. Jerusalem, now if you want to write this down for the note takers quickly, I'll, I'll probably throw, start with this one next week. But Jerusalem is Acts, the first part of that commissioning is Acts 1 through 7. I want you to see how this thing's laid out. It's beautiful. Please get this part. Jerusalem part of that commissioning is Acts 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria happens in Acts 8 through 12. Uttermost parts of the earth is Acts 13 through Acts 28. Isn't that amazing? That commissioning just laid out perfect. Then it goes to Revelation 6. Then it says, be witnesses. He, listen, this is something. If you do a Greek study here. He didn't say witness. He said, be witnesses. Now there's a difference if you do a word study on it. You can be a witness, but they little had something going for them. They had a baptism too. 
what are we going to do with that? You're going to have to hang on with me. I'm going to get to all of that if you'll let me. So he says, he says here to be witnesses. Now Jerusalem ends with the martyrdom of Stephen in chapter 7. Y'all know the story of Stephen. He's martyred. That's when everybody starts leaving the Jerusalem. He says starts in Jerusalem. Well, Stephen gets martyred. It's kind of a good time to get a dodge. That's a, not a bad incentive there. Judea and, Judea and Samaria, Acts 8 through 12, the saints are scattered, it says in chapter 8. It says that they're scattered. It shows how they're scattered. It's not like they went on their own. They got scattered. I'll go as far as say this because I know the DNA of this church. Most of you were forced here. That's right. Come on. Wouldn't nobody else have you? I know. Don't be embarrassed. We all know. I could even keep naming stuff, but I'm going to stop right there. Now, it sees that they, they were scattered into uh, Judea and Samaria. In chapter 9, you have the conversion of Paul. Chapter 10, Peter takes the gospel to Romans and to the Greeks in Antioch. And, you know, that's where we first got called Christians. That's in chapter 11. Chapters 11 through 28, Paul's missionary journeys and arrest and arrival was there in Rome. Matthew 22 speaks of these three invitations. This is the second invitation given. Okay, I'm going to have to stop there. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day that you've made. Thank you for the truth of your word, O oh God. Lord, I ask and pray that you know our deal, anything that I've said, if it's not of you, I ask and pray that it would fall to the ground. But if anything that I've said, O oh God, it will aggravate your people to study your word, to seek out your truth. Dear God, we bless it. We bless your truth. Lord, it is my prayer that I will fulfill the commissioning to equip this church, these people, to be a people of the book, people of the word, would not be tossed around. But we know what we know because we know that we know it, because it was given to us by revelation of your spirit. Be with us this day, O oh God, as we worship. Let us worship you. Wow. What an opportunity to worship God, creator of the universe and this little building on the side of 64. We can come right here and worship the creator of the universe. Not only that, listen, you cannot be loved any more than Jesus loves you. And Jesus, God through his word says, he loves us already. John 3:16. So let's worship him until we get more revelation that he loves us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.